0: Welcome to Live at the Ballpark. On this episode, you'll hear the story of a young lady from Des Moines, Iowa, whose love for reading and writing and her grandpa's love for baseball would one day propel her to become one of only a handful of female beat writers to cover Major League Baseball on a daily basis. I learned how to
1: score a baseball game from my grandpa. I learned how to run the bases like Blue Brock. The game can change in an instant. And that's, I think, what I love about it, that magic um, that it can bring on any given night, um, whether it's the World Series, Game 6, or a summer night game in June. That's what I love about the game.
0: Welcome to Life at the Ballpark, sharing stories from players, managers, and coaches, writers, and broadcasters about their lives around baseball, from the Sandlots to the big league ballpark hi i'm john frost and my guest today is annie rogers thanks annie for sharing about your life at the ballpark thank
1: you thanks for having me
0: annie rogers is a beat writer for mlb.com for kansas city royals and previously covered the st louis cardinals she was also a graduate of the university of missouri where she was president of the association for women in sports media and that is a topic that we're going to get into during today's podcast but first Annie, let's look back a little bit at 2020. What was it like for you being a beat writer for the St. Louis Cardinals in 2020 when you weren't traveling with the club?
1: Yeah, it was certainly interesting. Um, Very different from what I I am used to. Um, But, yeah, it's just more of a matter of, you know, like everybody adapting to the circumstances and making, you know, best use of our time uh, with the players and with managers on Zoom. And, yeah, just kind of adjusting to that whole world. Hopefully. You know, it kind of goes back to normal sometime soon. Um, but we made the best of what we what we had, and uh, yeah, it's just been it was a crazy year. Um, just definitely different. Hope I never have to do it again. Yeah. But yeah, we, you know, I learned a lot, and um, you know, hopefully, we can
0: get back to normal pretty soon. Now, what was your physical setup? Were you in the press box at Bush Stadium watching the games? Yeah, so I, on on the road.
1: Yeah, when they were at home, I was at the stadium, and then when they were on the road, I had up in my home office, you know, I had my second monitor on the game and on my laptop I had, you know, my game story and anything else I needed. So it wasn't the same. Uh, looking out my window into the backyard um, wasn't the same as looking out the press box window um, on any stadium. But, you know, it kind of made me appreciate just being able to go into stadiums and uh, being able to travel, um, you know, in normal times. Uh, it just really made me appreciate all of that. I'm really looking forward to getting back to that
0: point. Boog Shambi told me when I was talking to him, he told me that there was, a, there was a broadcast coming from San Diego where the Padres broadcasters were in the press box in San Diego calling a game for the Padres when they were away. And in front of them, there was actually a soccer game going on while they're calling the baseball game.
1: Yeah, that's crazy. Um, definitely didn't go through any of that. Um, but I did, I did watch my dogs play outside in the backyard while I was watching the baseball game going on um, on my TV. So not the same, but I guess my dog can catch pretty well and, and play fetch. But uh, ho- hopefully can watch real baseball games play out uh, as normal this year.
0: I heard an umpire interviewed, and he was asked, what do you miss most about calling the games? during 2020 and he said i miss the noise he says there's no noise in the ballpark and it's so weird
1: yeah it was super weird just being at the stadium um and having the fan noise typed in you know i told other people this, but like when i was typing and kind of looking down on my laptop for a second and i would hear the noise it'd be kind of normal because it'd just be that kind of like low white noise that you normally hear and then you look up and you realize that you know the stadium is empty and all of a sudden you're put back in, in 2020 or whatever, you're like, oh, yeah, this is far from normal. But it was super weird um, definitely just being able to walk out of the press box and see absolutely no one milling um, about. I took a video of opening day at the stadium and just kind of a, a panoramic view of the empty stadium. It was it's kind of you know apocalyptic sort of, um, but yeah. definitely excited to have fans back in the ballpark. Um, I, I think everybody didn't realize how much we would miss them. And, and now everyone is super excited about having them back, um, yeah, right. even if it's in a small capacity to
0: start. Now, I know you're making your, your adjustment now. You're moving from the Cardinals to the Royals, reporting for MLB.com. But I'm also interested in, in your reaction to uh, what's happened in the offseason with the Cardinals because the Cardinals were the last team this offseason to make roster moves and just in a very short amount of time. They re-signed Wainwright re signed yachty and then the big news about the nolan aronato trade what was your reaction to that
1: yeah it was crazy it's kind of the same time that i was officially handing the beat over to my replacement zach silver so i was helping out with that and kind of getting invested on the Royals. it was a chaotic week to be sure um but yeah you know it's kind of a, a whole waiting period for the cardinals they stressed patience both publicly and privately um as far as what their off acquisitions looked like. And then, you know, when the time was right, they were able to pull off those moves, um, both re-signing Wainwright and Yadi, and then acquiring Nolan Arenado. Um, I think it was more just a timing aspect, um, making sure that everything was going the right way. And, you know, eventually they got all of their goals done. And um, I think everyone's kind of walking away from the off-season and into spring training and that organization excited about what, what they did and, and what's to come for 2021.
0: So tell me, let's go back in time. Tell me how you fell in love with baseball.
1: Oh, man. Uh, (laughs) So I grew up in Des Moines, Iowa, and, you know, we didn't have a professional team, or we don't have a professional team there. Um, So it was more, you know, everyone there is super interested in college football, college basketball. Wrestling is huge in Iowa. Um, But then everybody who's interested in baseball kind of goes in the surrounding areas, whether it's the Royals, the Cardinals, the Cubs the Twins, um, the White Sox, you know, kind of all around the Midwest. And my grandpa was a huge Cardinals fan, grew up loving St. Louis, uh, raised my mom to love the Cardinals, and then raised me and my brother and my sister to be Cardinals fans. And my grandpa really was really invested in me and my brothers when we were growing up, our, our playing careers, I guess you could say, in little league. And, um, you know, I played softball, but he would always – you know, be able to put on a Cardinals game and, and tell us about who was playing and kind of teach us the the whole game. Um, I learned how to score a baseball game from my grandpa. Uh, I learned that's how great. to run the bases like Lou Brock from my grandpa and with our football games in his backyard. So that's kind of how I fell in love with it. And I just remember, um, you know, the 2011 World Series, watching that in my living room with my dad, being able to say, like, wow, this game is amazing and it you know, the game can change in an instant and that's I think what I love about it, that magic, um, that it can bring on any given night, um, whether it's the World Series game six or a summer night game in June. That's what I love about the game. So that's kinda where I I started it with it and then once I learned that I could be a sports journalist and write about baseball I, I kinda got took away my fandom, I guess you could say, a little bit, um, to stop rooting for most teams, but still love the game, still root for the game, and it's, it's kind of been going from
0: there. You talk about learning how to keep score. I think that that can be a pivotal time in a kid's life. I can remember the last time I was at Wrigley Field, we had really good seats right behind the first base dugout, and I was sitting next to a man, an older man, who had not been to Wrigley Field in 50 years. And I said to him, well, how's it look? he says, it looks about the same. (laughs) And I thought that was great. And the reason that he was there is he brought his grandson and his little grandson was with him and he was teaching his grandson how to keep score at Wrigley field. And I think I said, well, this is right out of Norman Rockwell. This is terrific.
1: Yeah, it's awesome. It's such a a good way to be connected to the game. Um, You know, not only just paying attention to it, but learn all of the nuances for it. And yeah, I still, actually you just reminded me, I need to, order my scorebook for this for the season so thank mm-hmm. you for that yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly you but, but yeah so I, I, yeah i love scoring games um and a lot of it has turned online now but i i'm still a pen and paper kind of person and, and um it kind of just still connects me to my grandpa um you know he's passed now but i know that you know whatever he is he's proud of me and um Definitely happy that I'm still scoring games on a, on a piece of paper.
0: Sure. Well, before I introduce my co-host today, I have one more question I want to ask you, and that is, how did you know that you wanted to be a writer?
1: I think it was more just um, I liked it more than science when I was little. Uh, I loved to read. Uh, I, when I was growing up, I would just I would have a book in every single room of the house, and every you know I would go to, go in and. Sit down and pick up where I left off, Um, and then I'd go into another room and read that book. Um, I loved reading, and then once I got into school and kind of you know you could you start to choose your path a little bit in middle school, and then in high school um, took more writing classes, joined the high school newspaper, and kind of fell in love with writing that way. And um, that's kind of how I knew I wanted to do something with writing. And um, luckily, my high school newspaper, my advisor, she really encouraged me to look into journalism and, and what I could do with a journalism degree. And that's kind of how I decided to go to Mizzou and um, pursue a sports journalism degree. But it all just kind of goes back to my love of reading when I was a little kid.
0: I asked Rick Hummel how he knew he wanted to be a writer. And he said, well, it was very early. I think it was even high school. And he said he didn't even know how to type. And so <laughs> his mother would have to go with him to the game so she could tap his type his news story for him. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Isn't that great? That's awesome. <laughs> Let's change direction here quickly, and I'd like to introduce my friend Lisa Pride. Lisa's a friend and a colleague. She is a minor league baseball play-by-play broadcaster in the Florida State League. She has also been a feature reporter for com, covering the past four Major League Baseball All-Star Futures game, spring training in the Florida State League. She's also co-founded the community of minor league baseball broadcasters that are committed to increasing representation and promoting diversity and inclusion in the baseball broadcast booth. Lisa happens to be married to Curtis Pride, who has, has a remarkable story. He played professional baseball for 23 years, 11 seasons at the major league level, and Curtis was born deaf. And he is passing along, you imagine succeeding in Major League Baseball with that kind of situation, and he's passing along his experience as the head baseball coach at Gallaudet University, which is a federally chartered private university for the education of deaf and hard of hearing. So Lisa, thanks for helping me co-host this episode of Life at the Ballpark.
2: It's my pleasure, John. Thank you for that very kind introduction. So hello, Annie. I was listening as you talked about all your family connections to the St. Louis Cardinals as you were growing up, all big fans of the ball club. So how hard was it to tell your family that you were moving from the Cardinals to the Royals this season?
1: I think from the family connection, I think my mom was a little bit sad about me going, but it also is bringing me closer to her. Um, And Kansas City is only three hours away from Des Moines rather than the five and a half it is from St. Louis. So I think, you know, it kind of offsets, you know, the whole i um, leaving the Cardinals thing. But like I said, once I decided to, to pursue journalism, um, the fandom kind of went to the back of my head. You know, we we pride ourselves on uh, objectivity and making sure that, you know, we're being unbiased um, in our writing. So it kind of you know, wasn't that hard. I view it as, as more of a, a good move for me personally and professionally um, rather than, you know, even the team I grew up rooting for. So it um, wasn't that difficult, and then moving close to my family, which is always a good thing, and I think my mom's
2: have <laughs> about that. Well, you definitely can't beat being closer to those home-cooked meals for mom. Now, one of the big articles that you wrote this off season, which was extremely impactful in baseball, was on Kim Ang when it was first announced that she would be named the general manager of the Miami Marlins. Tell us a little bit about all the women that you interviewed around baseball and what Kim's hiring meant to them.
1: Yeah, so the the article is uh, about you know a woman in baseball reacting to Kim Ang and her hiring to be the general manager in the Marlins. I talked to Yankee broadcaster Susan Waldman who's been doing this forever. She's she's a huge role model for me and and for so many others in the business. I talked to Giants coach Alyssa Nacken who who broke her own barriers um, becoming the first major league coach who's a woman, um, I think she was in 2019. And then I also talked to Justine Siegel who was a minor league baseball coach uh, and also helped with diversity um, and inclusion in girls in baseball um, around the country and, and a few other people. So definitely it was cool for me to not only talk to those people, um, just because being a woman in baseball, I look up to those people, and I you know, saw them all breaking their own barriers and, and you know, their inspirations to me, but also to talk to them about this specific thing um, with Kimang becoming the general manager it was just kind of a fun conversation to have with all these women to be able to say hey what was your reaction to this uh let's talk about how happy we are where were you when you first heard what was your first reaction um what does this mean for a woman in baseball what does it mean for the future of baseball um that sort of thing so yeah it was it was an incredible day i spent the whole day reporting it and then i spent basically like you know the night writing it and you know the the reaction to the story was was just as cool as is actually writing the story. Uh, a ton, there are tons of people who, who applauded it, and, and I heard even more stories from other women um, You know, on what this meant to them. So yeah, it was all around a, a really cool article to write. Um, definitely one of my favorites from this year.
2: It definitely was an emotional day for women and everyone who champions diversity and inclusion. Did any one person's reaction surprise you? And what really stuck with you, Annie, from that day's conversations?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest thing I took away from it was when I was asking them about, you know, what this meant for a woman in baseball, obviously I knew, you know, it opens up so many doors and, and all that stuff. You know, I wasn't surprised that they were saying that, um, and it's, it's amazing, and it does. Um, but I think the thing that really stuck with me was Alyssa Mack, and um, she said that the job, do- you know, it doesn't stop here. Humming won't stop there. She knows, um, you know, what's in front of her now, um, and she's not going to just stop, you know, working to do it she's even more, not just for herself, but also for, you know, every woman who's coming behind her. So I think that was really the the biggest thing for me, taking away from it was just the work doesn't drop now, and, and, you know, it's not, it's not a celebratory, yay, we made it. Um, it's more like, okay, let's keep going. Let's get more women in these roles. Um, So that was probably the biggest takeaway for me, you know, and I walked away really excited about that.
2: I can imagine that this all had a big impact on you. You're only one of six female beat writers for MLB.com, and that's a small group. So what did this hiring of Kim Ang really mean personally to you?
1: Yeah, I, uh, I, I still remember that day really clearly. Um, and I saw the news on Twitter that Kim Ang was going to be the general manager of the Marlins, and I was like, wait, what? I think I had like, my lunch at my desk, and I like, mid-bite, I was like, wait, are you kidding me? Um, and it was more just like, okay, wait, look at look at Twitter, go through Twitter, is this real, is this real? And then I think a few minutes later, the, the mom's announcement dropped. And I just immediately, you know, teared up and I was like, oh my gosh, this is insane. You know, I I knew her name. Um, I know her credentials and how hard she's worked. And then to see her finally get this job um, it was just, you know, it was just amazing. I find, you know, I, I'm having a hard time thinking of words to describe what I was feeling just because it was, it was that cool. And so being able to, to do that story then um, was was really fun for me. Um, just because all the women I talked to were inspiration to me and then um, to be able to to write like the story was just you know it was, it was a super cool moment. And yeah, I, I had a group text with all of the the women um, beat writers in, in at MLB.com and we were all hearing the move. And you yeah, know I think it's really cool. we've we've um, you know, just in the past few years, We've increased uh, woman and in beat writing roles at com, And even I have now, Jen uh, Langosh, who's our National League editor um, when she comes back from maternity leave. And so, you know, when she steps into that role, uh, we'll have a leader who's a woman representing us. And I think that's that's a really cool thing um, to be able to say. So definitely excited about that and, and the efforts that we've made to increase diversity at com.
2: You mentioned Jen Langosh, who I was able to see every year in spring training. We miss her here in Jupiter. And you also, you followed her footsteps as the Cardinals beat writer. How important do you think it is for you, myself, and other women to have someone like Jen now in a manager role and have other ladies in the front office in decision-making roles, on the field as coaches, and as lead voices in the broadcasting booth in order to bridge that gap and really increase representation in baseball?
1: Oh, yeah, it's super important. I go back to when I was at Mizzou, um, Jen Langosh was the person who I looked to, and I said, No, I can do this job. Um, I can be a baseball writer because I see Jen doing it. Uh, you know, Jen's amazing. She's a huge mentor to me. She helped me all throughout college and then also getting this job um, now. And, you know, I, I owe so much to her, and to have her as a leader now in our company, helping young writers, helping, you know, with management. I think it's just so important to have that representation Uh, you can look at it kind of like being a general manager like you know a young woman can look up and say she's doing it I can do this you know I see I see a woman in that role so I can be a woman in that role too and and I think the same thing goes for Jen Um, I saw her as as a Cardinals writer and I knew I could do it then and and then now she's moving she's moving up to management and I think just having that representation is, is so important not only for For me um, and the other woman, but also for everyone at our company, because not only is she just awesome for women, but she's also a great leader and a great manager. Um, So it's going to really help our company.
2: So, Annie, one of the interesting questions that comes up when I talk to others is why all the attention on women in baseball now? We have five female play by play broadcasters in minor league baseball, and quietly there are other women working in the game. So, why do you think there's so much attention when women are hired now?
1: Yeah, I think just really just that, you know, we're having more conversations about it, and people are more aware, um, really, of the impact of diversity and the perspectives that different voices can bring to whatever you're doing, whether it's writing, whether it's broadcasting or even in different industries, you know, engineering or business or whatever it may be. Um, having different perspectives on your team can, you know, it's only going to be better for your team because you're bringing more ideas in and uh, all around creating, creating a better opportunity and, and for, for your business. So, I think more people are recognizing that and, uh, you know, aware of it. I think more people are becoming comfortable talking about their experiences as, as women in sports media or, if it's you know, people of color in sports media. Um, I think, you know, more people are just comfortable saying, this is what I go through. And then more people are listening. And I think that's really what it comes down to is, is people are listening to what we have to say. And, and that's probably the most important step is, to have someone in power or someone who holds authority listen and then being able to act on what you say and, and help, help those around you. I think um, that's probably why the conversations are turning and, and it's only a great thing. And, and as far as keeping it going, I think just, you know, doing what we're doing now is, um, you know, talking about it and not being afraid to you know share your voice and, and speak up when, when it's right. And, and also, like I said earlier, just having, you know, those in authority or those, those leading, um, making sure that they're, they are listening to others and, you know, hiring minority voices on that sort of stuff to, to, not only increase diversity, but just, just help their company and, and put more perspectives in the room.
2: I think that you touched on so many good points right now, Annie. Having a diversity of voices and perspectives can only make baseball and companies better. That's exactly what One Baseball Mike's purpose is. That's the community of baseball broadcasters that I belong to, and we formed it because we believe that there needs to be a diversity of voices in the baseball broadcast booth. And speaking of conversations, I know you have a younger sister, I have two children, and what makes me feel so hopeful is when I point out to my son and daughter, when a woman is named a coach or the general manager of a team, that my kids they're like, yeah, uh, what's the big deal? That makes me feel hopeful that their generation feels like that's the norm. Yeah, that's awesome. I love
1: hearing that. I mean, even me, like, I'm 24. Uh, I I haven't gone through all of the the hardships that women before me went through, um, and, and to that I owe them, you know, so much for opening door for me. Um, you know, I I got into this business knowing that I could do it and, and knowing that there are people around me who support me. So I can't imagine, you know, just even, you know, 10 years before or 20 years, um, you know, what that was like. You know, I, I was talking to Susan Waldman for the story, and um, she has been doing this, you know, since the 90s. So I can't imagine what she went through. It. And she, you know, she kept going uh, to create the path for people like me um, to walk through it. And I think that's You know, it's just, it's awesome to to hear that, you know, the younger generation is kind of saying like, oh, I didn't know that there wasn't a woman DM, oh, I didn't know there wasn't a woman coach already, like, why wasn't there? Um, You know, that kind of, that's awesome, and, you know, that's kind of what we're striving for.
2: What a book you are going to be able to write about your career, Annie. You jumped from college to the big leagues in just a few short seasons, and you are in the thick of history-making events.
1: (laughs) Yeah, well, we'll just take it day by day right now. Um, get get through. Um,
2: looking forward to spring training starting, starting, and twenty twenty one season, and we'll see where it takes me. I'm sure it will, Annie. Thank you so much for sharing your stories with us
0: today. Well, Lisa Pride, I thank you so much for your help. You've been a wonderful co-host. This has been a lot more interesting because you've been involved and I thank you for doing that. And Annie Rogers, well, wish you the best. We're going to miss you in Jupiter, but I hope you have fun in Arizona and best wishes for you with Kansas City Royals. Yeah,
1: I really appreciate that. Thank you so much.
0: Listen each week for a new episode. I hope you'll subscribe and share with your friends. Life at the Ballpark is produced by Jim Governale. Project manager is Andrew Miller. I'm John Frost, sharing stories of life at the ballpark.